Every business comes to life through its service experience. Your business success depends on whether your customers are loyal to you. That's where real value and profit is created. Great companies ubiquitously have great customer experiences. A thin red line divides those that invest and consistently deliver what their customers need and those that fail and get disrupted. In competitive and challenging times, leaders need to double down on their customer experience. Learn and grow the value you create. Grow your success. Be on the right side of that thin red line. This is the CX Guru with your host, Eric McCroskey, a globally recognized ops and customer experience guru, public speaker, and author. Your business success story begins now. Hi, and welcome to the CX Guru. I'm your host, Eric McCroskey, and this week, I'm excited to be bringing to you a couple of listener questions that have come in over the past few weeks. If you've ever got any questions that you'd like me to address, or maybe questions that you'd like me to ask one of our guest panelists, don't hesitate to drop me an email, and I'll be happy to bring the answers on air. The first question comes in around the piece of customer experience research, which I find the most influential, and I recommend others to read. Well, I think that's an easy piece of uh, uh, an easy answer to go through. And I would go back to a piece of research that was done by the Corporate Executive Board now probably almost a decade ago. It was around effortless experience. And what was really key about this piece of research is they looked at across multiple different industries, segments, both B2C and B2B, trying to understand the drivers that were going to bring back repeat customers that we're going to get likelihood to recommend to be the right levels for your organization, but most importantly, that was going to increase wallet share with customers. I call those really wallet share decisions, where you're going to actually get more dollar bang for the buck for your investment in customer experience. And what they found is that the investments in experience, in service experience, in other words, things that were along the lines of um, how friendly I was, how approachable I was, had a very limited uh, uh, impact in terms of those key wallet share decisions. Um, what's worse is moments of wow, basically what I call the Disney moments, where I'm creating an amazing experience, where perhaps I saved the day and I got a letter of commendation, has almost no impact whatsoever. And what they found is that the only item that was strongly correlated with those wallet share decisions was how easy you were to do business with, particularly when things were difficult or challenging, or something went off the rail. Well, in the work that I've done, and that my organization, Apropolo, has done, we've actually found the same results in multiple different segments, organizations, that was really about being easy to do business with. And why that's so key is because ease is something that you can programmatically improve within a business, is much easier to drive forward. But it also means that investments that a lot of organizations have put in around service-based experiences or that rewards that get placed on the person who saves the day are probably ill-placed investments. That the needle has shifted and that now organizations need to move more towards being easier to do business with. I think that's key because it really rethinks how organizations drive improvements, where they put the effort, uh, and it really is about 
making it simpler, taking time out of the customer journey, not in seconds, but in minutes. So if you've not had a chance to read the book around effortless experience, I definitely would recommend that you pick up a copy, go through it. I think you'll find it incredibly useful information to drive change. The second question that came in uh, from a different listener was around empowerment versus control when it comes to um, managing the workforce and specifically around things around uh, compensation. How much latitude should you give an agent or a team member? And so this is really interesting because most, most people would say, put in more rules, put in more controls, check marks, have supervisors or more seasoned, experienced leaders make decisions around how much you're going to compensate uh, or how much you're going to do to resolve a particular issue. And what we've consistently found is it's actually the opposite. It's more important to give very strong empowerment to frontline team members versus controlling them. And in organizations where you had very tight controls, where perhaps a supervisor had to approve any compensation over a certain amount, what we found is by pivoting towards pure empowerment, where the team member didn't need to have any approvals, compensation costs actually went down. <clears throat> In one instance, we saw compensation costs go down by almost 33%. And it's simple because if you think about it, if you've got an issue and you're calling a, an agent in a contact center, or you're trying to deal with a customer service agent or, or somebody in a, in a service environment, if you've got an issue, you want that issue resolved. You don't want to be put on hold. You don't want to be transferred. And, and the more you're going to wait, transfer, and have to speak to more people to explain your issue, the angrier you're going to get and the more you're going to be expecting in compensation. What we found is if there is immediacy in terms of the response, often that response needs to be incredibly small to satisfy the customer. The other interesting thing is that the team member who's given a lot more latitude, empowerment in terms of how they solve things, tends to actually be thriftier in terms of the response. They tend to manage the, the purse strings much better than even the supervisor could, who was disengaged from a lot of those interactions. So what I would say is always focus on empowerment, but put some general guidelines. And the guidelines should really be in terms of what is it we're truly trying to achieve. Um, and, and always, like at the end of the day, there has to be accountability around the work. Uh, so that if you give too much money, you're still held to account. You need to explain why you did what you did. There's a great piece uh, that was written several years ago when Continental uh, went from being one of the worst carriers in the U.S. to being one of the best carriers. Gordon Bethune was the key leader, the CEO that drove the turnaround. And one of the things that really impressed me in that book uh, that was written now nearly 20, 20 some odd years ago was that one of the symbols he had done was create these bonfires at an airport to burn down some of the manuals that had constrained their team members. And he really moved towards empowering the frontline team members. And you see the exact same thing that our work and our research has demonstrated, that empowerment means that the agent is more aligned with your purse strings, but also the customer's journey and better able to resolve the issues at hand. The third question that came to us is around contact center metrics. Uh, there's a lot of contact centers that have metrics around average handle time uh, and, and really trying to understand what is the right indicator and, and what's the right perspective to have around average handle time and after call work. Well, I'd say first and foremost, in my opinion, these are some of the most hated, useless metrics that have ever been created 
in contact centers. And if I could give one piece of advice to everybody is to ditch the metric, burn it, and never go back to it. And I'll put a little caveat because if you do it too quickly, things can go horribly wrong, but I'll touch on that very soon. So really what I'm saying is average handle time, yes, is an indicator of cost. It's also a key indicator of being able to understand how to resource your call center, when to put key people on shift and when not to put them on shift. But in terms of the behavior you start in part on team members, it is completely the wrong metric. Because what you're essentially saying is get rid of the customer in the smallest amount of time you could, which is complete opposite of caring for your customers and really driving the epitome of service experiences. So again, get rid of it because what it does drive is a behavior where I'm going to try to accelerate the call rather than solve the issue you called in from and creates a complete disalignment with a customer journey. I have sat down next to agents in contact centers who literally took the phone and hung up within one second. And when I asked them why they did it, is they said it was simple. They had to move the metric. When I brought that up to leaders, leaders said, aha, we'll put an indicator where we'll look at every call that didn't complete within one or two seconds. Fact of the matter is that's useless because then they'll just wait two seconds or three seconds before hanging up. We need to instill metrics that drive the right choices and the right behaviors. Well, the other metric that I really hate is around after call work. So essentially the metric says, how much time did you spend doing other stuff that wasn't quote unquote productive speaking to to customers? Well, I can tell you, I sat next to an agent who put a customer on hold for about 20 to 30 minutes while they were keying key information into the business system and then got back to the customer, spoke for 30 seconds, and hung up. At the end of that call, I asked the agent why they did this. And their answer was simple, is they said, if I took the call, ended it, and did that work after, that would be penalized against me because I would be deemed unproductive. I then asked her, what would she do if it was her mom on the line? And she said, I definitely wouldn't have kept my mom on the line for 30 minutes. So then the question is, why are we doing this for a customer? So both average handle time and after call work drive the wrong outcomes. I've seen it in some organizations where the leaguers said, I always speak about customer experience. Why is it my agents aren't making the right decisions when faced with time pressures and they will not deal with the issue completely? And the fact is that's simple. You may always be speaking about customer experience, but you're always reinforcing and coaching and reminding people about getting rid of your customer, which is the opposite of the desired outcome. To this day, I've never seen a contact center that uses average handle time or after call work indicators that it truly is a great service center. And if you go back to what I was talking about before in terms of the customer experience research, effort comes from not solving issues and causing more repeat calls. And let's remind ourselves that multiple repeat calls, no matter how short they are, will always cost us more than a single call that was longer and resolved an issue. So when I said earlier, don't leave the metrics instantaneously, is you need to replace that metric with an alignment with what the customer needs to have. If you replace it overnight and you just say no more metrics on time, 
then you're going to see, like I've seen in some contact centers, that people just fill in time and start having useless conversation around sports games, sports teams, or the weather that aren't helping the net outcome. Why? Because we haven't replaced the desired outcome with a new one, the one that's aligned with the customer. So always have a thoughtful strategy to change the metric, but definitely get away from average handle time. Little extra caveat, average handle time should still exist to manage contact center performance, but probably at the VP level, so that you do understand the patterns and you're able to resource your contact center appropriately. Next metric is really around uh, NPS. And, and why is it uh, NPS is used in contact centers? And should I use NPS versus uh, customer satisfaction or, or potentially some other metrics uh, that might exist there? Well, I would say that the metric that I recommend for contact centers when it comes to customer experience isn't CSAT or customer satisfaction. It's not NPS. It's around uh, customer effort. So simplistically, you're asking customers, how easy was it to do business today? And how easy were you expecting it to be? Because I'm looking for the delta between the expected and the actual experience when it comes to effort. So the reason I love this metric is because we talked about before the importance of having a good metric that drives the right outcomes around effort and and the effort research I was talking about, the front end. Um, And this really talks to it. It tells you from a customer's perspective, was it easy or not? The other part is it's really easy to train the agent to understand how do I move this metric? Because I can explain what effort looks like. I can start teaching people methods to make it easier. I can change the process. I can change the conversation to reduce effort. The problem with CSAT or customer satisfaction is it doesn't really give you that indicator. If I'm a call center agent and I'm told I was really good, I was very friendly, then it's going to teach me and reward me to be friendlier. And I was working with one contact center where the CSAT scores had done a tremendous shift over the years. If I remember, it was somewhere from a 60-some percent CSAT score to a mid-90 percent CSAT score. Everybody was praising themselves. The problem is NPS, customer effort, didn't shift. Agents did exactly what they were told to do. They were friendlier. They spoke more about the weather. They spoke more about the game, but it didn't actually solve the issue the person was calling for. People don't call into a contact center because they want a friend. People call into a contact center because they want something resolved. Okay, so that's CSAT and I didn't talk about CSAT as being a great indicator. The next one that a lot of people talk about is NPS. Essentially, likely to recommend. So here's my concern about NPS. Don't have an issue with NPS at an enterprise level to measure performance, but at a contact center level, I find it's intellectually a very strong indicator. But what makes it a strong indicator intellectually also makes it incredibly challenging for somebody to do something about it. The purpose of an indicator is to drive the right behaviors, the right actions for the contact center agent. Okay, so if it's too complicated and I don't understand how to influence it in the best possible way, then it's not truly going to shift how I show up day in and day out. 
So that's really why I don't advise the use of NPS for team members and really recommend the use of something related to effort. Again, that delta ideally between ease of that service experience and then uh, the expectation around ease on that journey. Another key point here that uh, came from that question is when do you measure this? Well, I think this is a key element. Too many people are interested in asking for information post-transaction. So as soon as I get off the phone, somebody follows up with a survey, says, hey, how was this survey? Or would I hire this person on my own? The fact is, that's useless. Why? Because in most journeys, if I didn't solve your issue, you won't know about it right after the call. For example, if I call for a telecom service and um, I, I, I try to get the installation, it doesn't really matter if you were friendly on the installation. What matters is, did I get the service installed? Did you show up when I expected you to show up? Did it work? And did my bill match the conversation we have at the front end? And if you call me right after the conversation, I won't have a clue because the install will probably take three days, maybe a week before it's completed. If I have service issues, it might take an extra week or maybe even a month. And a billing issue will at least take 30 days before I notice it. So what I always suggest is to always measure post-journey. Always align yourself with a customer. And once that journey is completed, so in that installation service I shared about before, it will be once the first bill comes in. If I'm in a mortgage journey with a bank, then it would be once I actually take possession of my house, the money shows up, and I get the first statement that tells me that I got what I expected to get. Always measure at that point to get a view of the journey. Then you can impact your service experience because you're measuring what the customer is looking for. So here's the, the five questions that were asked for me over the last couple of weeks. As I indicated before, if you've got some more questions for me, drop me a line, send me your questions, and I'll either answer them online, I'll answer them on the show, or I commit to getting one of my guests to speak about it. Speaking of guests, look forward to our next show in two weeks. I'm really excited. We've got a great surprise visitor on this show who's written a fantastic book on customer experience, and I'm looking really forward to that interview. And if you've got other ideas of key guests that you'd like to have on this show, let me know again. Drop me a note. I will be happy to reach out to them, to invite them, or even if you've done some cool work in terms of transforming your service experience, or maybe you've done some great research in this space, both at employee level on the service experience side, drop me a note. Always interested in hearing about great speakers to bring on the show to help everybody improve their service experience. That's it for this week. I'm Eric McCroskey, and this is the CX Guru. Like what we do? Share this on your socials and tell everyone. Hi, it's your host, Eric McCroskey, again, here on the CX Guru. If you've got a great idea for a podcast or you'd like to be on the show, drop me a line. Thank you for listening to the CX Guru on C-Suite Radio. Increase the value you create. Grow your brand. Drive your success. Distinguish yourself from the pack. Come back in two weeks for the next episode. Or listen to our sister show, The Ops Guru, with Eric McCroskey. Fuel your future.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.